Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. We're back. Kevin's Corner on Monday, October 24th. The Colts lose 19-10 to, to, I don't know, their older brother, their dad, whoever you want to call it, but right now that's who the Tennessee Titans are. Five straight over the Colts. Really hard to lose a game in the NFL by more than one score when the other team doesn't score an offensive touchdown. But yet, some way, somehow, the Colts... Accomplish that on Sunday. Uh, Kevin Bowen, Eddie Garrison back from the state of Florida. Florida? Florida? Pronunciation struggling on this Monday morning. Eddie, good to see you, man. Nice to you. Uh, nice to see you as well. Nice to be back, but it was also nice to get away there for uh, a week. Yeah, and I mean, there are some people that will say, you got away and the Colts played well. <laughs> it's funny, I was texting Casey Vallier with uh, the Colts. Um, on Sunday, I was like, "You realize if the Colts lose, I don't think I should be I should be welcome back because <laughs> I've missed two games and they won two games and now they are uh, one, three, and one uh, in games in which I do the pregame, I cut the highlights, and I produce postgame." You know what? Matt Hawk might be losing his job here in 24 hours, and some Colts fans might want Eddie Garrison next on that list. So uh, they know where they can find you. Uh, glad you're back, and uh, thank you again to Brandon King for filling in um, last week. Uh, obviously, a ton to get to today on the podcast. Looking ahead to Wednesday, um, we'll focus a little bit on the trade deadline coming up Wednesday for our second pot of the week. I think it's relevant uh, a week from Tuesday is the trade deadline. I think it's also relevant when you can kind of look at a little bit of where things are. Carson Wentz, commanders related now that he's on injured reserve. That obviously impacts your draft picks for next season. All that stuff. Uh, today, of course, we'll focus on the Colts and the Titans from yesterday. What I didn't like. What I liked. Um, I want to start here before we get into the nitty gritty, Eddie, of just probably my biggest takeaway from yesterday big picture related is just where the Colts stand within this division you know the AFC South was created in 2002 Colts dominated it for the first decade plus Chuck Pagano and Ryan Grigson won 16 straight games in this division which is just an astonishing number and now here you are you've won one of your last six You've been down double digits in error. I should say two scores um, in every single one of those six games. Um, you're now going nine straight without a halftime lead. I know that includes some games that aren't within the division. And if you look at it, you know, in a way, you can see some signs of the other three teams in the division either thinking they have the answer at quarterback long term or Houston in a position next year to certainly address it with an early pick. Um, And the Colts just aren't there. Um, And again, by no means am I saying Malik Willis, Trevor Lawrence, and the 2023 Texans quarterback is going to be the answers to those franchises. Uh, But the Colts just don't have even that hope. It's just a really dire time for the Colts in the AFC South. And I don't think it's a good division. I don't think the Titans are frankly that good, (laughs) to be honest with you. 
Um, I don't, which I think makes matters worse. Um, I, d- I think personnel-wise, um, outside of Jeffrey Simmons and Derrick Henry and I guess Nico Autry when he plays the Colts, I don't think anyone really scares you um, about that. So that's just kind of where I'm at right now overall. Eddie, of just Halloween comes on the calendar, and I find myself having this annual tradition now of, all right, let's look up the Titans schedule and see which games the Colts can have go their way because they need gobs and gobs of help. And I did that yesterday, and I did it with the Texans in 2019 or 2020, and I had to do it with the Titans again last year. Like, you just never play from ahead in this division. You never play from ahead in games. And right now, the urgency within this division is just lacking. You continue to get behind by multiple scores to these bad football teams, and it is an ugly, ugly sign. And if I were Jim Irsay, it would have all of my attention. Yeah, to go to your point there, the Titans' schedule gets significantly harder after Week 8. They travel to Houston for Week 8, uh, Week 9, Kansas City, Week 10, Denver. Then they go to Green Bay. Then they also have Cincinnati and Philadelphia. Uh, and then, of course, they have a nice little three-game stretch with the injury status of the Los Angeles Chargers. They have the the Jags. They have the Chargers and the Texans before they close the season out uh, with Dallas and Jacksonville. So that's a very— they got some brutal road games left. Yeah, they do. They have some brutal road games but they also have some favorable home games as well um, and then you look at the upcoming five game stretch for the Colts you could say this is the most important stretch of the season for the fate of Frank Reich um, as his status of as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts you have Washington at home you have to go to New England you have to go to Vegas then you have Nick Sirianni and the Philadelphia Eagles coming to Lucas Oil Stadium could be undefeated um, Correct. Followed by a Monday night football game against the Pittsburgh Steelers four of those teams have a losing record so it's a very important stretch right. for the Colts. You know, it's just the fact that you just had to rattle that off, Eddie, just again sums up everything right now. Right. Like October 24th, and here you are for the umpteenth season in a row needing to read off schedules of your division foe because you've been swept by them for a second straight season and you need help. Um, and when you rattle off that schedule, I think to myself, there's no way Tennessee wins nine games. <laughs> like, the, the, I mean, and, and who knows? Maybe I'll be wrong. Um, but. You just watch them, and without Harold Landry, without Taylor Lewan, trading away A.J. Brown, the dude who had the pick six yesterday was claimed off the Pittsburgh practice squad a month ago. Last year, they played the most guys in NFL history. That means you have tons of injuries in a season, and they have the number one seed. They find ways. They are the tougher, better coached, um, cleaner football team right now, and five straight um, is alarming. And I asked Frank Reich on Friday, you know, doesn't this one mean a little bit more to you? I mean, he's a human being, and Frank admitted that. Yeah, it does. It means more, and that's the effort that your football team gives you in such a critical game. That game should mean more to the Colts than it means to the Titans. I thought the half, there was a moment after halftime, which I think sums up everything for the Colts and the Titans, Mike Vrabel and Frank Reich right now. We're going to play that clip a little bit later. I'll hit on that a little bit later. Um, Eddie, as you know, I like to kind of do the under-the-radar play of the game. Um, I felt like as much attention went to the Austin Hooper 3rd and 6 to kind of ice it. I'll go back to the Austin Hooper 3rd and 10, 3rd quarter, where Zaire Franklin, who, you know, 
by all means, has probably overachieved this season what the expectations were coming into the year as a full-time starter. Um, he misses a tackle there just short of the six, and that's one of those plays, if you're able to get Hooper on the ground, even if it's a fourth and two, Tennessee's punting the ball away mm-hmm. at that point. You had just scored. You know, you had gotten Hines involved on the previous drive. Beautiful job by Matt Ryan at the line of scrimmage and the no huddle to find Paris Campbell for the touchdown. It was 13-7. I felt like that was the opportunity. If you get a stop there and you get a drive down one score, who knows what can happen. Third and 10 again to Hooper. He makes Franklin miss on just kind of a little pass to the flat. That's a first down. Robert Woods converts a third and four later in the drive, and old Randy knocks one in from 38, pushes the lead back to two scores. When it was always two scores, you felt like it was insurmountable, at least yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the play I'm going to circle. The third and 10, 327 to go, third quarter, as just a play that your defense was hanging in there, hanging in there. And I hate to fault the defense, and I don't want this to sound like I am. I just, man, that's the play where I'm just like, oh, if Franklin makes that tackle... I don't know. Um, I'm going to go a little bit earlier in the game. I'm going to go to the second quarter, 10-18 mark, and I think you can kind of guess where I'm heading with this. Um, Naheem Hines has a carry that goes for a two-yard loss. Jeffrey Simmons makes the tackle, but the officials sure. completely miss on the face mask penalty. Yep. That put the Colts uh, second and 12, and then if that penalty is called, in my opinion, I don't think you don't know if Matt Ryan's calling a different play or right. Frank Reich then it's an interception and I think even Rick Venturi pointed this out I think on the radio broadcast I don't have video footage so I don't I can't really see much of the game sometimes he said that um, I don't know who it was he, somebody lined up over the line of scrimmage and they were offside on the on the interception so really yeah he said it was either on the interception or was on the Jeffrey Simmons tackle in the backfield he felt like uh, on one of those two plays I can't remember which that the defensive lineman lined up offside and and it really allowed to either it was Matt Ryan being disrupted on the pass that he intended for Paris Campbell or for Naeem Hines to get tackled in the backfield in the way he did. But I think that missed face mask penalty in the second quarter because the Colts have the ball on the Tennessee 26. I mean, they are driving, and that was the— Yeah, like should the, get at least three points. Yeah, and it would have been a tie game. Instead, it turns around, and then um, Tennessee— is able to take the ball back, and they're already up 10-0. Yeah, awful call. We'll obviously get into that sequence right there. I I know Jeffrey Simmons is a damn good football player. Damn good. But I would like to see Quentin Nelson on that play not allow Jeffrey Simmons to absolutely take Quentin Nelson and push him three yards into the backfield to where he has a chance to tackle Hines yeah. you know, back there as well. Um, all right, Eddie, let's get into what I didn't like after that loss. I'm going to say there's a lot of it uh, that you obviously don't like. So where do you want to start? You want to start with Ryan's turnovers? Yeah. Or do you want to start with the slow start? L- l- let's go with Ryan's turnovers. Eddie, simply you have a turnover machine at quarterback. Yep. And that is so alarming to say when you have a 15-year vet who started over 200 games, who has a hol- who has a resume that will be debated for Canton one day, and yet you lead the NFL in fumbles, you lead the NFL in interceptions. And to me, when I see the interceptions, I it's not like this is a noodle arm trying to fit an 18-yard out pattern into some tight window. Or he's trying to, you know, he knows that safety's cheat over from one seam or from one hash mark, and he's trying to fit it down the seam, and the velocity is now 88 miles per hour, not 92. These are just bad mistakes. 
rookie mistakes. Mistakes that I thought if Malik Willis would have played to end that game, you could maybe bait him into making some of those mistakes when Tannehill got hurt. That is what is truly, truly alarming. Yesterday, you dropped back, what, 44 pass attempts? Yeah. 5.5 yards per pass attempt. That is horrific. It is especially horrific when you're playing the worst passing defense in the NFL. The Tennessee Titans entered Sunday with the worst passing defense in the NFL, 32nd, I think nearly eight yards per play. You had 5.5 per attempt. One completion over 14 yards. It's just nothing vertical, man. Like it's just unless it's the Alec Pierce outside the number ball, which I don't even think they attempted any of those yesterday. You have absolutely nothing. And with Ryan, Dink and Dunk Central, I think it, it creates a ton of limitations. Like I think you got to force the ball down the field, even if like you know the percentages are small. I think you have got to send a message to a defense throughout a game of your safeties cannot cheat this far up. Because we're going to attempt it. Again, Pierce, he's got to get a couple of those a game. I'd I like to see Pittman attempt a little bit more vertical. Paris Campbell taking some strides forward, certainly. But again, even him, can you tap into that speed at the second or third level right. of, a, of a defense? When you go dink and dunk, if you do it, again, it puts a lot of pressure on you to s- sustain drives. I thought CBS made a good point yesterday of like, you know, the Colts rank, what, second in the NFL in 10 play drives this season. Okay, I guess they possess the ball well, but they also pointed out they've only scored touchdowns on like two or three of those drives because it's so hard to sustain a 12-play drive yeah. in the NFL. I mean, you saw the Titans yesterday. Colts defense outstanding in the red zone there. It's just hard to do. Um, and basically, what you're seeing with the dink and dunk and the checkdowns, it's one thing to do that, and Phillip Rivers did a lot of that in 2020. But what Rivers did was he didn't put you in the catastrophic mistakes of the turnovers. You look at his turnover numbers from that year. I mean, I know he had a bad game against Cleveland, and you can insert another bad game here. But for the most part, he turned the ball over. I want to say it was combined 13. I think he had 11 picks and two fumbles. 13 turnovers for the year. Right now, what Matt Ryan's got, is it nine fumbles and 11 picks? Or maybe it's the reverse. Maybe it's nine picks and 11 fumbles? Mm-hmm. I think that's, yeah, it's 11 fumbles and nine picks. I mean, what the hell? You know, and it's just... That is what is crippling. Um, Let's go over the two interceptions. The first interception, and I guess this is going to fall a little bit on Reich. Um, And I've got a little bit more more Reich stuff I want to get into here in a few minutes. But let's focus on the first INT. Frank Reich took blame for that after the game. He basically said that he was complaining about the Heinz face mask that you brought up earlier, Eddie. And he got the call in too late. To Matt Ryan and they shouldn't have called that play or should have checked out of that play so one Frank Reich a non-emotional head coach gets too emotional in that moment therefore he's putting his offense in a bad situation um, that's malpractice as a head coach it's malpractice as a play caller it gets back to the root question I've had with Reich over the years as the CEO yep and both calls probably went the way they should have, but look at the two challenges yesterday. Colts lose it, Titans win it. Those are the thing. Like, I mean, Vrabel, he was taunting throwing that red flag on the field, knowing full well of he is so locked in and ingrained to what's going on on that individual play. He's got his guy up in the booth. 
boom, boom, easy, easy. Whereas Reich, naturally, when you're the play caller and the defense is out on the field, you're thinking about the next drive. Yeah. It, 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 you know, from a play calling standpoint, yeah. you can't be fully into it. I think that's such a disadvantage that the Colts have. And it was a rare Reich moment complaining to that level, but it cost the Colts. Like, you can't yell at the refs and be the play caller. You just can't do that. There, there, there's not enough time in between plays. So that's one issue of the interception I have. The second issue still falls on Ryan. It's a second and 13, Eddie. The Colts have been checked down central all game long to that point. Tennessee, watch the play. Everybody go back and watch that play. Not only does Andrew Adams pick that ball off and take it back, if he doesn't pick it off, that corner picks the ball off. You can see the corner. He's running to where the ball's going to be, and Adams just kind of steps in front of him and makes the play. Even if Campbell stops and, and settles down there, that ball still gets picked, in my opinion. And that is where, again, 15-year vet, 37-year-old quarterback, aren't you thinking there, hey, second and 13, yeah, I want to get five or six here to put us in third and manageable, but the defense knows that. So maybe I need a pump fake. Maybe I need to, you know, and and you, do you recognize where the free rusher's coming from? Do you dirt it? Do you take a sack? Even a sack there, you're still in field goal range. Obviously, yep. it would be third and long, but you're still in field goal range. So... That's where I just have issues. And yes, Reich, but also with Ryan. The second pick with Ryan was reminiscent of Denver. Just absolutely horrific. He had Allie Cox a little bit on that mesh concept if he wanted to hit him. Clearly, he's locked in on Pittman and uh, threw it right to, uh, I think it was David Long, um, who, who's a good football player. By the yeah. Way. On that first one to Campbell, um, I want to point out a couple of things. I want to see if I can make a connection here. Uh, the first of which, um, Rick Venturi on the radio broadcast said, Ryan, there was the right play. Ryan had the wrong read. He said he should have. Had, I don't know who was going down the sideline, but he said looked like the, it was Pierce. I thought. I think it was Pierce. It may have been Pittman. I I can't fully remember, but whoever the receiver going down the sideline was was like completely wide open. Um, because the corner dropped down to cover the checkdown, because that's pretty much what the Colts were essentially doing the entire time, and Ryan wasn't looking to throw it down the field and push the ball down the field. Um, so this gets me to the Michael Pittman Jr. quote from after the game um, when asked about what can you guys do to generate uh, some of those down the field plays he said I mean they've just got to trust it they've got to trust us even though they're playing zone uh, we'll go out there and make those big boy catches Alec has done it uh, Paris has done it I've done it Big Mike has done it like everyone's done it we can actually do it so is this Kind of a subtle shot, maybe yeah. at Matt Ryan yeah. more so than Frank Reich or and or Marcus Brady. Yeah, I, I certainly hear you, and, and I think it's a very valid question to be asked. I I'd like to hear just kind of the context and relation with Pittman, and um, I I could see him saying something like that. I also don't want that to sound like I think Michael Pittman's a guy that just calls people out. Right. Like I just think Pittman just kind of carries himself in that way. Um, I do think it's a very relevant quote and you appreciate his candor it's like i I appreciate reich explaining (laughs) why he you know made the play call because he he was complaining you know at that official i think to summarize Pittman's comments eddie it just gets back to what i said a few minutes ago when you don't take shots vertically it just limits you so much yeah tennessee kept everything in front of you i mean literally i'm looking at right here the longest play the colts had all day yesterday was a 20 yard play to Pierce. 20 yarder to Pierce. Nothing more than 14. Against the worst passing defense in the NFL. Yeah. That's so alarming. So alarming. Um, when you're gonna dink and dunk, 
fine. If you do it, you better be north of 70% and you can't commit the turnovers. North of 70%, yeah, but committing fatal errors. Those two drives should have ended in, at the very least, two Colts field goals. So there's six. Instead, they led to 10 Tennessee points. So that's a 16-point span, if not more, right there. And when you lose a game 19-10, to that tells the full story of it. I also thought, last thing to note on Ryan, Eddie, I also feel like I'm starting to notice a little bit more of the lack of velocity. Yes. A few of those balls that are like, oh, it finally got to Campbell. Oh, it finally got to Pittman. You know, it just noodle arm a little harsh I mean he's still making throws where I'm like okay that's pretty good velocity stepping into it and I get it and you know it's not perfect around him I do think the Colts still generally lack support around him but those are some things to keep an eye on and I do notice now every game now he seems to be favoring something at some point during a game do these hits just start to add up um I had to start with Matt Ryan there. Just just absolutely crippling, crippling turnovers. Um, obviously, another slow start. That's another thing you didn't like, but I want to point something out here, or I want to ask you a question to, for you to play off of to go into this. Uh, Colts win the toss. They like to defer. You're on the road. You're in the AFC South. You know you're behind Tennessee in the standings. You know you struggle to come out with a fast start. Do you think maybe Frank yeah. Reich needs to you know change up the approach a little bit? You know you have a good defense. Get that offense out there on the field to see if they can get it going early, um, and try to you know kind of just energize uh, that sideline a little bit in the first quarter. I it's again a fair question to be asked. Scotty actually messaged me that before the show started. On my list of Reich issues, that is pretty low, to be honest with you. Rightfully so. And I uh, Say it again. I said rightfully so. There's other things to worry about. And and We're about ready to get to one of those here, but just to um, finish that statement, I understand Reich's thinking yesterday. You've started with the ball, six straight games start the year, and you haven't scored on any of those drives. So are you thinking, let's send out my best unit to start the game if you're able to get a stop? Does that send a message? And I I fully understand coaches that love to get the ball out of the third quarter. And, you know, the Colts had a golden opportunity yesterday, Eddie. They got the ball late half, then they got the ball to start the third quarter, and they didn't score in either of those chances. Um, they got the stop yesterday to start the game. Yeah. You know, Tennessee moved it a little bit, but they got the stop. They obviously couldn't turn it into any points. So, um, again, I understand where you're coming from with that. It, it's not as high up on the list as some others. Um, next on things I, I didn't like is just the continued sl- slow starts. Again, your last halftime lead is Christmas in Arizona. <laughs> um, you've been down double digits in six straight divisional games. We're going to play this clip from halftime. Um, I, I'm going to butcher her name. I believe it's Aditi Kikabala. Uh, I think I really butcher that, so my apologies on that front. She does the halftime report coming back to start the third quarter. When I heard this yesterday, I burst out laughing. It was better than crying. Um, And the end of this clip, when she very much expresses, and the Colts have Matt Ryan relaying a message that Frank Wright gave to her at halftime, that's obviously kind of like the humorous part of the clip. But I think it's more of a... It's a 15-second snippet of where the Titans and the Colts are as franchises right now and how their head coaches handle both of their football teams. So, Eddie, will you cue this up? Again, the CBS post-halftime report from their sideline reporter yesterday. Um, 
from Mike Vrabel and Frank Reich. Mike Vrabel's team has the lead, but he was not a happy man. He told me that his team is giving Matt Ryan too much time and that they're fortunate to have gotten those big plays. Meanwhile, over on the other side, Frank Reich told his team, hey, this is what we've been doing all year. He said we get the ball, we score on this first drive, then we're only down in a one-possession game. And he said, we have Matt Ryan. Well, well, well. Um, you have Matt Ryan, which is a massive reason why you're down 13 nothing at halftime. I would start there. Um, and I know, again, that's kind of the humorous slash mortifying part of that clip. But, Eddie, the Vrabel part and the Reich part, to me, sums up everything about where the Colts are and where the Titans are. You have Mike Vrabel, not happy, pissed, I believe was the word she used, Fortunate enough to have gotten those big plays. Feels like he's not getting enough pressure on Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan just threw two massive interceptions in the first half. You have Frank Reich, uber optimistic, get a score, and then we have Matt Ryan to get us back in a fourth quarter game for the insert number time this season because Matt Ryan's turnovers have put you in such a position that you need to have him get you out of his own mistakes. It just, to me, sums up the edge that I feel like Tennessee always has, the urgency the Titans have, and the complacency that the Colts have. I'll go back to what I said earlier. I asked Frank Reich on Friday, does this game mean more to you, given the fact that you're hired in the same cycle, Reich and Variable, given the fact that your owner's been very public and, and behind closed doors ripping members of that organization for losing to the Titans, does the fact that you've lost four straight, does this mean more? And he said yes. And does the fact that you got the job over Mike Vrabel factor into this a little bit too? Right. I think all of that. You know, I think naturally as a human being, like I agree with Reich, that would probably weigh on me. And yet you hear that halftime tone. And who's the one on edge? Mike Vrabel. Who's the one that's the division champ? Defending division champ. The one that's won four straight. The coach that's up 13-0 to zero at halftime. That's the one that sounds like he's desperate. Sounds like he's fiending for something. And yet the Colts are sitting there just up. Oh, yeah. We you know, nine straight games with a halftime deficit. You know, we're good. Yeah, we're gonna get a score to start the third quarter, and then we've got Matt Ryan. It's just to me and, and I'm I'm sure there'll be some people out there that are like, Yeah, you're overreacting to one one little snippet. That to me was just a perfect third party anecdote that summarizes, I think, a lot of what we've talked about over the years is Tennessee, as I said earlier, played the most guys in the NFL last year. Trade away A.J. Brown. Taylor Lewan lost for the season. Harold Landry lost for the season. Yet, they are that desperate dog looking for that, you know, that little whatever, little piece of meat saying, we've got to find that. And you watch the Mike Vrabel clip after the game, him and Ben Jones embracing their their center who was banged up all game long. And you can kind of see just everything that the Titans just kind of go through to scratch and claw and get back in it and continue continuing to be the older brother or the dad of the Colts. Whereas on West 56th Street, in my opinion, it's way too much complacency. It's way too much the same message that is getting stagnant and getting old. And the results are leading you down this path of continued poor starts in the AFC South games, continued poor starts in general, you're playing behind the eight ball, and when you continue to do that, 
and you only want to talk about your quarterback's fourth quarter comebacks and not his turnovers that are putting you in the situation for needing fourth quarter comebacks, you're not going to see changes. If I'm Jim Irsay, I'd be very jealous of what's going on in Nashville, of what they've created there. Because, again, I don't think their personnel is that great. I don't think it's no. division leading great. I don't think it was certainly, you know, their their current state with the injuries to Lawan and Landry and trading away AJ Brown. Um and I just thought that clip and in general, Eddie, the slow starts, the continued having to dig yourself out of a hole, um, that's a reflection of where you're at right now from a coaching standpoint. Last little quick time. question uh from me before we get to the final thing that you didn't like. We've only heard Jim Irsay after wins still. We have yet to hear Jim Irsay after a loss. Yeah, pretty quiet leaving the stadium, right? Yeah. Is that a little concerning to you when you uh Yeah. Uh-huh. When you're trying to factor in accountability from the top down? Yes. Yep. It is. It's very concerning. And I've mentioned that a few times this season, Eddie, and you know, we're I guess approaching twenty four hours post that game and we still haven't heard. I, I believe he just fired off a tweet thanking the blue-clad shirts or something. For, like, dr- for traveling down I-65. Right, right. all that. Um, yeah, it is. And, and, you know, behind closed doors, I do think there's a little bit more venom. You know, I, I mentioned it on uh, last Wednesday's pod and explained it, that I think Jim Irsay is very close to wanting to see Sam Ellinger in the lineup. And it's a question I'll ask Frank Reich here in a few hours. We'll see what the answer will be. Um Last por- and I think we can get into some of that during Twitter questions because I know a lot of people are asking yeah. about um, Ellinger. Yeah. Uh, last thing that you did not like from the game, uh, Matt Hawk. Yes, Matt Hawk. Um, Eddie issues there. Just awful punting. Um, horrific. I mean, the net average was what, like 31? Yeah, I don't think he had a punt longer than 38 yards. Uh, he did have the 160 yarder. Oh, that's right. He did have 160, but yeah, the other four punts were all just horrific from a net standpoint. I thought your special teams in general was pretty poor. I know McLaughlin, Chase McLaughlin made the 50-yarder right down the middle, but your kick return unit, I usually feel like it's a strength. You struggled there. Um, that's usually a constant for you, and it wasn't there. I, part of me is like, will Matt Hawk be kicking or punting for this team on Sunday? I think he will. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if he was. I wonder if he's like nicked up or banged up in in some capacity. That was that was a that, that was alarming. Um, so yeah, I wanted to throw that in there. I feel like he could be the next scapegoat at the scapegoat dinner. It'll be Rodrigo, Danny Penter, Matt Hawk, and who else? Nick Cross. I'm trying to think who else has been benched. Brandon uh, Face on not benched, by the way. Um, eight less snaps than Isaiah Rogers. And Rogers got the start too. Rogers did get the start, but pretty much the similar rotation to what we've seen outside of Rogers. Uh, one thing for me that you didn't include, I didn't like the utilization or lack of utilization of the tight ends. Uh, Mo Alley Cox, 24 snaps. That was the highest out of the three tight ends. Granson saw 21 and Jelani Wood saw 19. No targets, right, for Mo Alley? Correct. One target in his last 90-some snaps. Outside of that Tennessee game, he hasn't had more than two targets in four of his last five games. Wow. That is not good. Um, no. But uh, I think the one thing that we both agree that we like, who needs to be an all-pro selection, uh, and arguably the only all-pro selection from this Colts team, and a pro bowler, uh, Grover Stewart. Grover Stewart, outstanding, Eddie. I uh, 12 tackles um, for him. That is such an eye-popping number. Like, that is 
wild to me. 12 tackles for a defensive tackle. Uh, and again, he's more of a nose tackle than a defensive tackle. And I just think Grover Stewart should be commended for a guy that was a middle-round draft pick, signed a big second contract, and yet his play has ascended since he signed that big second contract. No contentment whatsoever. His play has gone to another level. I do think the change in defensive system and the defensive line approach probably is aiding some of that. Um, so major tip of the cap to Grover Stewart. Again, 12 tackles, the most for defensive tackle in a game this season. That's NFL-wise. Um, you look at the you look at the um, Colts franchise. They go back to 94 in keeping those stats. It's the most for defensive tackle in the game since then. So I, I just, you know, the red zone defense, pretty good. You know, Jonathan Taylor, I thought looked decent. I have a better than decent actually coming back from the ankle injury. I thought he looked the best he had looked in all season almost. I thought probably deserved a few more carries than the 10 he got. Uh, boy, but outside of Grover, man, I just can't go anywhere else for things I liked. I mean, the red zone defense again. Um, but yeah, Grover Stewart deserves a Pro Bowl. He will not get it because he doesn't have the notoriety or the sacks. Um. So yeah, I agree with you there. Unfortunately for Big Grove. All right, we have a lot of Twitter questions, so let's get into them. Uh, flipping. Uh, what does Matt Ryan have to do to actually get benched? Is it possible, or will he have to be, or will the Colts have to lose so many games, um, before we're out of contention for that to happen? Yeah, I I think that is. A, a huge, huge question, of course, right now, and one that I'm very curious about of, like, does the AFC South standings, does that keep Matt Ryan there? You know, the fact that you are not going to be that far out of it for a while, is it one more multi, multi-turnover game and then you make the switch? Because um, w- once you make the switch, there's no real turning back, you know? Well, once you go to Ellinger... There's no real turning back of that. Um, part of me thinks it's likely going to take multiple, like, multi-turnover games, and then you're, like, three back in the division for them to totally say no. Because, again, then you got to start thinking about Matt Ryan for next year and what that message means as well. Um, and I'm speaking a lot of this from the Colts' point of view. You know, in, in my opinion, I've probably seen enough, but... If I'm thinking about it from where the Colts are coming from, unless Ursay literally, Ursay would have to step in and totally make the call himself for, I think, it to happen in a quicker manner than what I just laid out. Uh, this one comes from Rodney. We've already kind of briefly hit on this, but uh, he said that Frank Reich said the pick six was on him. We've already explained what that was. Um, but R- Rodney says that he's not buying that excuse that he's selling. Um, if you can't do your administrative duties as a coach, someone else should be calling the plays or coaching. Also, why didn't the 37-year-old former MVP quarterback and Matt Ryan use a timeout then to reset into a good play call? Pissed, Kevin. I'm pissed off. Thanks for taking one for the team and analyzing this horse crap. Love the pun, Rodney. Uh, yeah, that was very good by Rodney. Yeah, it's an awful look on Reich. It, it, it's an awful look. Um, those are the things in NFL games where plays are so precious or seasons are so precious. You just can't have those sorts of mistakes. And I don't think you're a good enough football team to overcome those sorts of mistakes. And it's something that if you are Frank Reich and you are going to be the play caller and the head coach, you've got to know in that situation 
that should have been a face mask penalty. You've got to swallow whatever emotion is fuming inside of you. And as that play clock begins for the next play, you've got to call the play to Matt Ryan. And let's say you get done with the play call with 28 to go on the play clock. Then you go over to the line judge or the side judge, whoever, you know, you uh, you know, I guess it would have been, you know, maybe the uh, maybe the actual ref, the the head official that probably should have thrown that flag, and you can rip them or you can yell about like and I know this sounds like very like fourth grade parent, but like what good is that going to do? You yelling at the official in that moment. Right. Of, it's not like, oh yeah, you're right, Frank. Yep, let me throw that flag. And I get it, like it's part of sports. You yell at the officials. But you can do that in a think a little bit more civil manner, a little bit more of a different time and not impacting your play calling and you're putting your quarterback and in, in Reich's opinion in a bad position. Now, again, having said all that, I expect more out of Matt Ryan mm-hmm. in that moment. You got him to recognize mistakes or bad plays and get you out of bad plays um, or make bad plays not worse, and he made them worse. So, twofold with that one. Uh, this is from Mamba. Uh, KB, can you please stop telling us that Frank Reich is a great offensive mind? Third game without a touchdown this season, and the offense is just embarrassing. I ask you guys again, are we sure there's no one else who can play call? Yeah, Mamba, um, totally acceptable question, of course. Um, while I think there is evidence in recent years um, that the Colts are have been a pretty good offensive team, um, and I've gone over those numbers, and I don't need to re- re- rehash them. There's no defending this offense right now. There's no defending Frank Reich and how he's handled the situation. Um, do I think the personnel could be a little bit better in some key spots? Certainly, but still, they're, they're, it's awful. And again, it's not like you're playing good defenses. No. And, and that's, I think, just what adds to it. Um, you know, you're you're you've got to be near the bottom in points scored if not at the bottom and that I'd be willing to bet if you look at the, the majority of teams around you it's teams that have probably had to go to multiple quarterbacks this year you know Steelers um maybe Dolphins um yeah I'm trying to think of other teams that have just been lacking in, in the scoring department I guess Bears haven't oh did the Bear have the Bears played somebody else besides Fields I'm pulling it up now um but no they haven't I just think I think in general you lack some creativity. I know there were some plays, the design stuff to get Hines and and Campbell a little bit more in space yesterday. But again, force some shots down the field. You know, Pierce has got to be in the game plan on those outside the number of plays week in and week out. Um, All right, here you go, uh, Denver. They average fourteen a game. Uh, Steelers fifteen a game. Bears fifteen and a half a game. Indianapolis Colts 16 and the Los Angeles Rams average 17 a game. Those are your bottom five teams in the NFL in scoring. Well, some of those teams do have pretty good quarterbacks. I mean, I guess Rams in that in that boat and Packers. Um, as far as play calling, I guess Marcus Brady, you know, would be the other option. But you know, he's never done it at NFL level. Like you would still have questions there. I, I'd be stunned if Wright gave up play calling. I think it would take like a lot. Again, I mean, I, it would take Ursa getting getting involved. Which, boy, I I, I don't know. Again, uh, this is different for Ursa, and I, I I'm sure we have some Ursa specific questions coming up on the pod. But like, again, he's not used to watching an offense look like this since he's been the sole owner. An offense that had expectations. Yeah. An offense not led by you know Curtis Painter, or Jacoby Brissett, or 
you know any of those other years when you were really really poor. Now I do want to point out Marcus Brady has called plays before, but not in the NFL R- CFL stuff. Yeah, yeah, he did for five years in the CFL before he uh, was an assistant quarterbacks coach with the Colts in uh, 2018. Um, I remember asking this to Frank Reich. This would have been a couple of years ago at the end of the preseason. Like sometimes you see in the final preseason game, the head coach who's a play caller lets like his OC call the plays. Yeah. And I asked him if he would do that with Sirianni, and he said no. And and I I kind of stood around and, and we chatted a little bit more about that afterwards. He's like, I just think it's a bad situation to put your offensive coordinator in and like you're calling plays for you know Chad Kelly behind a third string offensive line, and like part of me like. Okay, I, I, I see where you're coming from on that. I do find it interesting that you have now seen Nick Sirianni and Matt Eberflus move on. Neither of them call the plays in their next stops. And even a guy like Brian Dable. Sirianni doesn't? No, I think it's Shane uh, Shane Steichen, I believe. The Eagles OC, who's the play caller there. Um, and then Brian Dable with the Giants. Um, again, you guys have heard me say this. I just think on game days... Everything is so critical. Time is precious. Time management is precious. Challenges are precious. Field position, when to go for it, when not to go for it, all of those things. When I've got a guy solely, you know, as a play caller, you just get out of touch with some of that stuff. You are correct. Sirianni did call him last year, but uh, Shane Steichen is back to calling plays this year. I think he's got some Chargers history with these guys, so... I'll have yeah. to check him out. Maybe that's a possible, uh, you know, interviewee. There you go. For some teams later down the yeah. road. We'll see who those teams will be. Uh, Niles says, the post-game comments from Frank Reich after these terrible losses seem to be losing the fan base. How long before they start to lose the locker room? They well, being Frank Reich. Yeah, I mean, again, I think guys in the NFL are pretty self-motivated. And they should be, but that tired message and just creating a culture of on edge, not being complacent, those things, I, I, I do think you can get head coach on down. And at some point, Eddie, when do you look at nine straight without a halftime lead, six double-digit deficits in a row to AFC South teams? That starts to become the norm. Um, again, losing the locker room. Like, I don't think guys are going to be like, screw this, I'm not playing hard. But just just the the natural urgency, I feel like, is lacking. Yeah, I can feel that too. Felt it for a while now. Um, but another question, uh, this is from Zane. It's another one pertaining to Frank Reich. Um, it sees that Frank Reich, all three phases, Frank Reich, he should say, uh, continues to justify this terrible play from the offense and his play calling with it being early in the season, he likes to say, quote, we saw a lot of good things or positive things out there. Maybe it's just me, but I just feel like that talk should be used for training camp, not week seven. Uh, The season will be over a lot faster than he and Matt Ryan thinks, in his opinion. My question is, at what week, if this trend continues, uh, do you think it will be too late to figure it out and the, quote, positives will just be smoke and mirrors and we miss the playoffs. Sorry for the long question, but wanted to get this out there. Longtime listener from Minnesota. Ah, thank you, Zay. Appreciate that. Wait, Oops. MN is Minnesota, right? It's not Montana? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Minnesota. M- MT for Montana, I believe is my guess there. Colts at Vikings this year, right? Mid-December? 
Um, do they? Saturday or Sunday game, I think. They haven't decided that one yet. Yeah, that's yeah. the extra game, I'm pretty sure, this year. Yeah, you're right. Um, you know, seven teams make the playoffs. And the AFC South, again, I don't see Tennessee winning 11 or something like that. So I think you're always going to be mathematically in it for long, long stretches. I am just curious, like, how is Ursay going to view the product? Or how does he view the product? Right. You know, does he view it? Because, again, this is different. I, I would argue there hasn't been a season like this so far that has had high-end preseason expectations, and especially with the offense, you have not met that. Um, so I, 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 I'm very interested to see how Ursay reacts to that. You know, as far as the... You know, we saw a lot of good things, positive things. You know, that talk should be for training camp, not not week seven. I, I couldn't agree more with that. You know, I thought Reich offensively afterwards was like, you know, move the ball great, like the, this and that. We just got to finish off drives better. Did they have, would they have one drive go in the red zone? Probably. I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah, one drive into the red zone. It, it, you know, again, it gets a defense that I don't think anyone all of a sudden is, you know, thinking of the 85 Bears uh, and I do think and this is Ballard related this is Ursay related of a 17 game season they tend to side more on the balance of it's a long season we'll eventually figure it figure it out mm-hmm. that's a dangerous game to play it's a dangerous game to play when five or six divisional games are in the first seven weeks of the season um, I also think it's a dangerous game to play when you continue to be behind the eight ball and now you've been swept by by the Titans. And again, I, I've heard Ballard use some of that and Reich. And again, now it's trends, Eddie. We're seven weeks into the season. We're, the midway point of the year is approaching. And right now, as we sit there on October 24th, the Colts have proven to be a slow-starting, boring, can't-score offensive football team with a turnover machine at quarterback. Woo! That's how I'd sum up the offense. Defensively, I'd say... Sound in many areas, missing the critical turnover. Yep. Special teams, uh, a little bit hit or, hit or miss. They're dealing with a lot of injuries right now on special teams. Yeah, Doman has been in Stewart got hurt. Yeah, Stewart. Yeah, that's Doolin. A torn, that's a torn peck. He's probably out for the year. Yeah, Doolin on IR. That's how it's on them up. Slow start, boring, can't score at an acceptable offensive level. And yesterday, the entire offense was healthy, right? Yes. Yes. So that's how I, that's how I look at it. Defense pretty sound, pretty good in a lot of areas. Missing the turnover, being put in some bad situations. Yeah. Sam Ellinger questions are starting to resurface again. Uh, this one comes from Mitch. At what point? Uh, why not rule out Sam Ellinger? The playoffs are now unlikely, so why not find out what the kid has? If he's bad, the Colts can finish with a high draft pick, and if he has a spark, they have a future. Uh, if he's somewhere in between, are the Colts really any worse off? Mitch, um, like I said a little bit earlier, we touched on Sam Ellinger a lot last week. You guys heard me say that I think a lot of his elevation on the depth chart was owner-influenced. Um, I, I stand by that. And that's why I'm curious to see, moving forward, what will happen there. Um, I just think at some point, Eddie, and I get it, quarterback is really unique. But if a player is protecting the football is one of the, what, 
most, two most, three most important things for a quarterback? Yeah. If you have a player playing that position and he's doing his job at the worst level of anybody else in the NFL from a turnover standpoint, you know, when does that player face a little bit more of the music? And is this starting to get Adam Vinatieri like 2019? I don't think it's at that level yet, but the turnovers are just such an issue. Such an issue. Like, if you took a little wand and said, turnovers cured or average in turnovers, you'd be looking at a much better football team right now. Yeah. So, I, I you're talking about both sides of your mouth with how they're treating Ryan as of now. And I get it. Once you make a move a quarterback, you probably don't go back. So, it does have a little bit more ramifications than it would be just replacing a kicker or replacing Matt Hawk, something like that. Um but those are very relevant things. I, I, you know, Mitch says the playoffs are now unlikely. I think if you are going to ask anybody, go up on the street and be like, hey, you think the Colts will make the playoffs? That They would probably say no. But again, there's still, what, a 20% chance? Internally, they're not going to act like that. And, and you understand that. You know, teams do come back from. Um, deficits, you, you understand it from a solely worth thinking short-term method. It's when does long-term thinking insert their decision-making. That, I think, is really curious. About eight questions left, so we've hit the halfway point with Twitter questions. Uh, Tyler is up next. Uh, we've already kind of discussed this, but uh, what's up with Mo Alley-Cox not being targeted the last two games at all and just once in Denver? Seems like he'd be awesome. We'd want to get him more involved. And I want to go um, with the statistics here, Kevin, more accurately. Um, he has seen a total of 15 targets this season, and if you remove that one game against Tennessee – his stat line for the year, five catches on nine targets for 51 yards, zero touchdowns. And that's in four games. Yeah. Um, yeah, one target in the last three. And I think a snap count is just a little bit under 90 snaps um, in, in, in those games. So that would be alarming. I thought in general yesterday the tight ends are really quiet. You know, Mo had one. Uh, Jelani Woods had two targets, one catch for four, and Kylan Granson had one target, one catch for six. That's a really quiet day based off what the Titans did to them in week two. They had 11 catches for like 181 yards and two touchdowns, right? Yeah. Huge. They, they were perfect, right? Didn't they have like the 11 targets for 11 catches in that first matchup there? So, um, you know, I had questions just, you know, again, could you be boring at tight end? And I think there's been flashes certainly from the, from the tight end group. But could you be boring there? I don't. I don't know. I I don't feel like they have been consistent. Like to me, again, safety blanket wise, I I would love to think if they go, you know, can you have a safety blanket at tight end? I just don't feel like that's there for them right now. Uh, why does the Colts fan base keep accepting these utterly inexcusable performances? This is from Jay. Nine games in a row losing at halftime. Uh, we are one Chris Jones personal foul call from having a losing record and are completely out of the AFC South title race. When is enough enough with Chris Ballard and Frank Reich? Love the pod, Kev. Well, I appreciate that. Who was that from again? Jay. Jay. Um. 
Yeah, I think, you know, I tried to set the bar entering the year of the hot seat warmer analogy, you know. I felt like it should have been on at that first level for Frank and Chris. Obviously, I feel like it's going to go up a little bit. I think what Jim Mercy's got to sit down and ask himself, Eddie, is this. Who do you want making one of the most important decisions in franchise history? And that is what you do at quarterback here in the next offseason, offseason plus, whenever you make that quarterback move. That, that's the question. It's one of the most important, most difficult decisions. Manning and Luck, when you got the number one overall pick. Makes it easy. Makes it easy. You could do one of those zoo animals like they did to announce the draft picks. <laughs> See if that orangutan can come back and do it for C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or whoever. I guess maybe there's more debate there. Maybe it's just Stroud. Ben um, Matherin. <laughs> Benedict Matherin, maybe he could do it. Maybe he deserves it. Can he play quarterback? Can he punt? Um that's a question. Who do you want making one of the most difficult and important decisions your franchise has ever faced? That's the question you got to have. And does Frank or does Jim Mercer look at it and say, I think Chris Boward's a good talent evaluator. I think if he took a chance at quarterback, I think he'd find success there. Does he say Frank Reich's an offensive-minded head coach? He, he he's you know he's worked with quarterbacks and Philip Rivers and Andrew Luck and. You know Carson Wentz or whoever they found success with him at a at an acceptable level. Um, I want to see if he can tap into that with a young quarterback with identified traits. Or does he say, "Nope, they had their chance. They kicked the can down the road for far too long, and we have a stale message in the locker room." I, that's what Ursay's got to decide. Uh, ben brings up a pretty interesting point. I think that we've kind of discussed a couple times this year, especially early on in the season with pass protection. Uh, but Ben says, is it just me or is Jonathan Taylor a pathetically bad pass blocker? Boy, Eddie, those stunts showed up again yesterday. Like, the passing off of stunts was a big issue again yesterday. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely been issues there with, with, with Taylor. Um and again, I think it's a lot of pre-snap identification yep. stuff. Or communication. Right, yeah. Identification or communication, whatever you want to call it. I, I can't imagine he did much of that at Wisconsin. Frankly, they didn't throw it much. It's not like they were in a lot of <laughs> yeah. obvious situations. Yeah. I, I think Hines whiffed on one yesterday, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, too. I feel like he did. Um, so, yeah, that is, yeah. Ben, that's that's something that's probably worth worth pointing out. Uh, Daniel has zero optimism left for the season, and he wants to know, does this team run this back next year with Matt Ryan? At quarterback, I see him as an end-of-the-year cut, and if things aren't humming early against the Washington Commanders, I'd expect a short lease, uh, expect a short hook to Sam Ellinger, but we know Frank Reich is too loyal to do so. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that cap it for next year, right? $35 million? Pretty big. That's large. Um, yeah, I've said it before. I think Ursay stepping in would have to. Um, you think if I'm Jim Ursay, I'm kind of sitting down in my office on this Monday morning. You're making a list of things that would be bothering me as owner right now. The future at quarterback and the general approach to roster building would be one. Mm-hmm. Those kind of go hand in hand. I'd be worried that my offense is boring as hell. Mm-hmm. And this comes on the heels of me tweeting out back in January about what you need to succeed in today's NFL. You need a quarterback and an offense that can score 30 in regulation, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
And, you know, Eddie, in a way, I feel this about IU football right now. Like, IU football was awful when I was in college. But they were quarterbacked by Kellen Lewis and Ben Chappell for most of the time I was in college. The offenses were not the issue very often. They could score. They could put up points. And I do think there is an element of, you have passionate fans, and maybe our listening audience is not necessarily the fan base that I'm talking to with this comment, Eddie, but you do have fans that, like, their level of venom would be different if this team was scoring 27 a game. And yeah. Losing, if they were losing shootouts. Like Detroit. Yeah. Early. You know, I mean, and then there are some that would say, Kevin, screw that. Results are results. I don't care if you're scoring seven a game or 70 a game. Just show me what the result is at the end of the game, and that's what I care about my product. So, again, I know I'm not speaking to everybody here, but when you look in the stands, and we had a caller today on our morning show, Mo from Ohio drives in three hours for every game. Wow. Mo mentioned that. He mentioned the entertainment product. He mentioned, like, I'm not used to this. And I've, I've gotten this before. Eddie, you or I in our ages, and you're much younger than I am, but even me at the age of 33, my age group's not used to this. Your age group is certainly not used to this from an offensive product. So I guess that would be also on the bothersome list if I were Ursay. Um, and then lastly, what would be on the list is the state of where we're at in the AFC South. And it's how I opened up today's pod. Like Jim Ursay undressed his coaching staff and scouting department last year after they got swept on Halloween by the Titans. He went very public on Twitter before the first matchup this year. Yeah. Now you've been swept. Now you're just another team in a bad division. You've won one of your last six AFC South games. You haven't won a division since 2014. Those are the three things of like bothersome worry that I would be sitting there and kind of just fiending over of like, oh gosh, where do we go? Um, I thought there was a really interesting quote today, Eddie, in the um, Peter King Monday morning quarterback Mm -hmm. column. What was it? Um, This was related to Jim Irsay and Daniel Snyder's comments, which for those that missed it, I touched on it last week on the Wednesday pod. I appreciate some of you that have reached out about those comments. Um, but this was in relation to that. But Ursay said to Peter King, a quote, this is more about organizations and, and business and you know being leaders in those situations. But Ursay said, and I quote, two things destroy great institutions, being emotional and rationalization. Rationalization, that's saying, oh, it's not that bad. We can deal with this. You know people are always going to love the game. They'll always turn on the TV to watch Mahomes on Sunday. Obviously, Ursay saying that quote in relation to the NFL and the state of the league Mm -hmm. and those things. But clearly, he holds those two words of emotional and rationalization close to his, you know, business leadership, ownership heart. So I think they're relevant to applying it to the Colts in emotion and rationalization. Emotion, I think we all understand. You know, you don't make decisions in emotion. You kind of sit back. You bring in third parties, et cetera, et cetera. But the rationalization part is very interesting to me. And in specific, when Ursay then quotes himself, he kind of talks in third person when he says, oh, it's not that bad. We can deal with this. That's not the Jim Irsay that I grew up again reading or listening to. Right. And, and you know, Irsay's not saying he's accepting that. He's saying you've got to ask yourself that. 
Yeah. Oh, it's not that bad. We can deal with this. Like, if that's your thought process, you better be damn sure that there is some reason, proper reasons for that rationalization. Um, I thought that was a really like philosophical comment from Ursay. And again, I think it can be applied to the Colts organization. Um, and this is a guy that took over ownership when his dad died in 96 or 97. So he took over, and this is different. This is unique for him. I think this is such a unique situation for so many Colts fans and for him as the owner. I'm going to skip around here. I'm going to go to Dylan and Jace question last because they're more towards the toward the future kind of outlook, and Clayton and Frank here are more pertaining to kind yep. of like the game. Appreciate that. Um, Clayton says, when does Chris Ballard and Jim say force Frank Reich into a Philip Rivers type, quote, retirement to save face instead of firing them? It's the only out I see unless Jim say gets rid of the whole regime, front office included. He's got to be heated at this abysmal offensive performance in all of 2022. Well, Clayton, I would add this. Should Ballard get say in that? Should they be tied at the hip? Yes, my opinion. I would agree. I think there's. I, I don't know if the owner holds that same sentiment, though. I think there should be more heat towards Ballard than Frank, but that's just my opinion. I, I, if we were presenting a debate project, and you know what, Eddie Garrison, we might have that on a future pod. Um, I, I would think you would have some evidence for that, and I think something to remember again, and I've said, I've said this about the Ryan, and honestly, Ryan Gregson and I have had these conversations. You know, as much as coaching. I think should have been a little bit more in the limelight and the lack of player development in the Pagano era. The GM hires the coaches. The GM has say, oh, if you really want to make a change, you are above. If you look at chain of command, Ursay Ballard Reich. That's how it goes. So yeah. any Reich decision has sign off from Ballard. Mm-hmm. So again, that's something that I think you have to remember um, about that. It, you know, as far as firing a coach or GM, let's also remember that, you know, it's not like salary cap driven. It, it's going to come down to, you know, financially, does Jim Mercer want to eat the money or not? You know, I think like, uh, not to bring up IU football again, but Eddie, I can see Tom Allen keeping his job because I don't think there's boosters that care enough about IU football to want to pay the buyout. That's true. There's boosters that care enough about IU basketball that wanted to pay Archie Miller's buyout. Yeah. With the Colts, you don't have that apathy. The owner, financially, he'll be the one to make the call or not. Uh, this comes from Frankie. Um, any chance that we see Zaire Franklin get some recognition for his play in the top 100 players as voted on by the players? Would be surprised if he gets much attention for the Pro Bowl or other season awards because he isn't a household name. Dude is a tackling machine. Yeah, Frankie. Zaire Franklin's having a really nice year. He's got no chance at the top 100 list. I, I, don't, I don't want to... I guess there's no really easy way to say that without it sounding like a slight at Zaire Franklin, but there's a lot of players in the NFL, and you know, there's reasons why the Colts have, what, three on the list every year or four? I mean, yeah. It, again, really nice year for Zaire Franklin. Um, good dude. Great leader. But top 100 player in the league? I wouldn't go that far just yet. No. Uh, this comes from Dylan. Uh, with the likelihood of the Washington Commanders draft pick being a third-round pick now, uh, do you think there is some discussion about delaying drafting a future franchise quarterback another season? <laughs> I'm shivering 
reading that question. I just shivered so hard I took this pen with a cap off, and I think I got blue pen now on my chin. I'm shivering over here at that thought. Good thing you have a beard to cover um, it up over there. Yeah, and it's getting thick right now. I gotta I gotta get a little trimmer on it. Um, like I said to start off the pod, Eddie, I want to get in some trade deadline stuff on Wednesday. I think this question has a little bit more relevance. Again, Carson Wentz is on injured reserve. So that so means he'll miss at least four games. Yeah. The Washington bye week is not till December. Taylor Heineke just won a football game. If Taylor Heineke continues to win some football games, I don't see them going back to Carson Wentz. And if Taylor Heineke starts to lose some football games and the Eagles continue to win, then the question will become, do you go to Sam Howell and skip over Carson? So, um, Do you want Washington to defeat the Colts? You want the Colts know, to defeat Washington? <laughs> so it's right. Like- it's so weird. Um, yeah, it, it's it's awkward. But to Dylan's point, like, you know, you are in this weird situation of like you're drafting the teens, and if you look at Houston and Carolina and Seattle and you know, I guess Detroit, like you know, aren't they four quarterback teams? Is that all of a sudden put you in the fifth quarterback spot? Or you know, Philly's got a high pick. Are you praying that you that you're up there with with Philly? Um, yeah. Yeah, someone messaged me a little bit earlier, and it's kind of popping in my head right now. Like, would you go to Ellinger after the bye week? Yeah, that's four games to go in the year. Minnesota, Chargers, Giants, Texans. Be the most ideal time. Right. Um, but it also depends where you're at in the season. Exactly. And I mean, hey, the standing a, specifically. You know, a month and a half away, but certainly there's recent history around the league that you see teams do that. The bye week provides an opportunity with that, but um, I guess that is an interesting thought that I hadn't really thought about. Um, last question. This pertains a little bit towards the draft. Who is your favorite college quarterback? Hashtag scouting season from Jake. <laughs> well, it'll be Drew Pine if he can beat Syracuse and Clemson these next two weeks. Here. How about that? Jake. Um, look, I'd be lying to you if I studied this super in-depth right now. Um, I'm so locked into Notre Dame on Saturdays that, A, I don't watch a ton of other college football. B, I'd trying to maintain my relationship as a married man and a father of two on Saturdays, knowing that Sundays take a lot of time away from that. So, again, um, I've seen some of the SEC quarterbacks. Uh, Hendon Hooker and Will Levis has some traits that I'm attracted to. Um, I think C.J. Stroud's very good. I also am not naive to think that C.J. Stroud is necessarily going to be there. And I'm excited to chat with Dane Brugler. I think he's a great, great NFL draft guy. We'll certainly get him on the pod here coming up in the offseason. But um, I, I want to see more of these the SEC kind of second second tier isn't right, but the non-Bryce Young SEC quarterbacks, I want to see them in some of these bigger games. Hooker at Georgia. Will Levis against some of these bigger games coming up. Uh, Anthony Richardson in some of these games as well. Uh, the interesting thing for me with Hooker is that he's 25 yeah, already. Very old. Uh huh. Guy that I've kind of been monitoring this year, uh, Will also Rogers comes, comes from a system that yeah people are uh, skeptical of. Will uh, Rogers, Mississippi State kid. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he did not play well last two games against uh, Alabama. He was 30 of 60, 231, but didn't turn it over. Didn't throw any. Touchdowns and against Kentucky he was 25, 37, 203 yards, touchdown and a pick. So, I mean, he wasn't great, but he wasn't awful. Um, he had 4,000 yard passing year last year as a sophomore. He's a junior this year. He's got over 2,500 yards passing, 23 touchdowns, four picks. 
Yeah, he he is another name um, to throw on the list. It does seem like there are some more QBs kind of in that second tier that are pushing towards, I don't know, middle half, top half to round one. I know we're really early on that, and we still got, what, a full month plus of the season to go. So, all very relevant. Um, uh, that was the last Twitter question. You got anything else to add here? I, I just want to say this in closing again. Um, you know, this season is is starting to trend in a direction of, like, you, you have a section of the fan base that is nervous that if the Colts end up 8-8, eight and eight, that everything will get swept under the rug. And that was another quote. And obviously, comparing Ursay to, or comparing the Colts situation to the Daniel Snyder situation is probably a bit unfair by me. But that was another Ursay quote that he said in the Peter King piece of like, I don't want to see this get swept under the rug. And I do think that is a quote that can apply to his football team. And again, I, I'm, I apologize for comparing the two, but it comes out of the owner's mouth. So I find a little bit of. Um, yeah, I find it fine in, in, in mentioning it, but this just this cannot get swept under the rug. You know, I felt like 2015 Colt season got swept under the rug, and then 2016 you fire Grigson, 2017 you fire Chuck, and all of a sudden the problem you found there in 2015 became a three-year problem and a three-year long process to to recover from. And you kept Pagano for that 2017 season. Like that can't happen. So when you identify it. You make the move. Tennessee won a road playoff game and fired Mike Malarkey and hiring Mike Vrabel that next year. A road playoff game at Arrowhead. Mm -hmm. Don't see that very often. Team wins a road playoff game and they fire their head coach. They realize they were stuck. They realize they need to do something different. And boom. Um, They've been the most consistent AFC South team since then. So... Kind of want to ask you this, just kind of a little bit of a teaser for Wednesday, but uh, you said Wednesday's pod a little bit more focused on trade deadline scenarios. Yeah. What what kind of stuff you want to get into? Well, it's a week from Tuesday. Um, past history would say the Colts will be very quiet at the trade deadline, and I think it's key to look into where you're at right now, how things should be viewed. Does the Carson Wentz draft pick situation impact your decision-making there? Do you have anybody on the roster you can move. Is there a big name you could move? I am always the believer in I will listen to anybody call me about any player on my football team. Because at the very least, I just want intel. <laughs> yeah. You know, even if I am no way, shape, or form trading Grover Stewart to throw out a name, I want to know who you consider expendable on your roster. Because now I'm jotting that down in my notebook of, okay, all right, Eagles say this guy is available. Then I know when free agency hits or when future trade talks happen, like, okay, I've got a little bit of intel. So um, trade deadlines usually pretty quiet in the NFL. Obviously, we saw a big one late last week in Christian McCaffrey. It's typically pretty quiet, but um, I do want to hit on that. Buyer, seller, where should the Colts be? Again, a week from Tuesday, the NFL trade deadline. Eddie Garrison, good to have you back. Thanks. Nice to be back. Uh, Colts and Commanders, 425. Tart Glenn into the Ring of Honor. No word yet on Jim Mercer and Daniel Snyder in the Octagon at halftime of the game. <laughs> we'll keep you posted on that leading into week eight here of the NFL. Everybody, thanks for tuning in to Kevin's Corner. We'll talk to you in a few days.